0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Key, Inside Higher Ed's news and analysis podcast. I'm Doug Letterman, editor and co-founder of Inside Higher Ed, and it's good to be with you. In today's episode, we're going to return to a topic that we explored a good bit a few months ago with a series of discussions about how to measure the value of a degree and the wisdom of judging colleges by the economic outcomes of their students. This remains contested terrain. Many employers and critics of higher education think many colleges and universities focus too little on ensuring that their graduates thrive after they leave and favor holding institutions accountable for how their students fare in the job market. That's unpalatable to a lot of academics who argue that a college education is about a lot more than how much you earn and that some elements of higher education are unmeasurable. Today's guests would like to move past that binary debate. In a new paper, Wake Forest University's Andy Chan and Christine Cruz Vergara of Handshake endorse the view that colleges and universities should be collecting and sharing data about how well they are preparing students for success in the workplace, given that that's the primary reason many students go to college. But the set of common metrics they propose colleges use to measure their own performance is broad, and it includes such data as how much institutions expose students to experiential learning while they're in college to graduate satisfaction with their jobs once they leave.
1: The majority of students want to be able to have meaningful work or need to have meaningful work after they graduate. That is just simply a reality these days. And for any institution to pretend that that is not the case, I think is putting their head in the sand. The metrics that we've proposed allow for enough flexibility that institutions can still design what that means and how they might define that for their type of institution. But it doesn't get away from the fact that meaningful work is still now a huge piece of student success.
0: In the conversation that follows... Chan and Cruz Vergara discuss the need for colleges from the strategy crafted in the president's office to the learning that unfolds in every classroom to prioritize their students' career readiness and to move beyond the tired debates that pit learning against vocation. Before we begin, here's a word from D2L, which makes this week's episode possible.
1: This episode of The Key is sponsored by D2L Brightspace, the LMS partner for top institutions around the world. D2L is a global leader with a cloud-based platform that is easy, flexible, and smart. See how you can level up your LMS at www.d2l.com.
0: Joining me today are Andy Chan. Vice President for Innovation and Career Development at Wake Forest University, and Christine Cruz-Vergara, Chief Education Strategy Officer at Handshake, a career network for students, colleges, and employers. They just co-wrote outcomes and metrics that matter, embedding career services at higher education's core. Andy and Christine, welcome to The Key, and thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: You just co-wrote this paper, and I wondered if the two of you could tell our audience a bit about what your goals were and the implications for college and university administrators and professors.
2: Doug, thanks for allowing us to join you today and really glad to be here with Christine. One of the really interesting books and concepts that are out in the world today is this idea of uh, you measure what matters. And uh, one of the things that we thought a lot about is, are we really clear in the world of career services With the concept of career readiness, what are we really measuring? What are the outcomes are we achieving? In the academic world, we talk a lot about learning outcomes and being really clear about what the learning outcomes are for every class, for every year at school. What we want them to really say are the competencies that they have when they graduate. And one of the areas that we've been thinking a lot about is what does it mean when you think about career readiness competencies? What are the metrics? If you know what you're measuring, then you can figure out how to achieve them. And so that was really the gist of what we were thinking about here, and we were trying to actually write it and design it in a way so that it was not only just for the people who lead career services, but actually for the people who lead the institutions, the presidents, the provosts, deans, everyone who cares about the student experience and what matters most. And and as we know, as we wrote in the paper, students and their families really care about their outcomes as it relates to careers. One of the top reasons why people go to college. And it's something that we have measured in some way, but not really as accurately as we think. I'll stop there and allow Christine to add a little bit more on
1: top of that. I think that was a great synopsis. The only piece I would add on top of that is simply as career leaders, you know, we want the attention of senior leaders at the institution because we believe that career education needs to be core and central to the institution's mission and to the student experience for every student. We don't want anyone to fall through the cracks But in order for that to happen, we have to be able to elevate the most critical metrics and outcomes so that the school will pay attention and that it's linked to the pieces that are most critical for every institution. When you think about their recruitment their revenue, their retention. And so we wanted to put together a piece that would allow not only our peers and colleagues in career services to know what is perhaps most critical for their senior leaders to be paying attention to, but to give senior leaders a sense of this is what you want to pay attention to. If you're not super familiar with career, if you haven't perhaps thought about it before, now's the time. And here are some starting pieces that you can use to really determine, is your institution on the right track?
0: When I think about this issue of measurement that you discuss, I've always thought that the precursor to figuring out what to measure is having the clearest possible sense of your mission and goals and then determining how you might be able to capture that and, to the extent your constituents demand it, prove it. Too often, higher education has let others define how to judge whether a college or university is effective. And when that happens, we tend to see most people define career success be purely economic in the federal government's college scorecard and elsewhere. How do you think about this issue, about what to measure, and how does that tie to what an individual institution or colleges collectively are trying to do?
2: Historically, when we look at uh, many student services, but especially career services, the what tends to be the outcome of uh, where did you end up at or after graduation, and that's actually a statistic that historically has been very difficult for many schools to get in a very comprehensive way a lot of schools say they're fortunate if they get even 30% of their uh, students' um, actual outcomes. You have to put a lot of resources against it, and you have to have the institution actually really saying, we're going to work together to try to get the data and the outcomes. Uh, Nevertheless, the thing, though, that is really problematic is that, one, like we said, are we getting actually enough data to be representative? And then, two, is what other data could or should we be getting while the students are in school so that we can actually intervene and help them before they graduate? Um, As we know, a lot of times what students do is they don't engage in this process till their last year of college. And by that time, it's too hard to actually provide any type of intervention to help them be more strategic about what they might be able to get as outcomes. The other thing that's actually really interesting is that I don't mean to at all say that what we're getting in this college scorecard is not right. I actually think it is good to get quantitative data about outcomes to be able to actually know where did students end up after you're done with school. We have to be careful, though, because sometimes what can happen is that we can sort of jump to the big number which is how much are students getting paid and all of a sudden the schools that look good are the ones that send students to white collar jobs and so therefore that's where you want to go to school and in fact there could be a lot of other jobs and careers and graduate schools that students go to that are really more fulfilling and more meaningful what we're suggesting is a great uh, addition to this which is it really helps us understand what are the students learning How much are they actually building social capital, which is very important, as we all know, with respect to thinking about building our careers. And so these are all things that we, I think, could all do a better job of first measuring, measuring accurately and intervening earlier in the process.
1: Historically, if you take sort of a bird's eye view of career services and career metrics for an institution, other than outcomes, there have really been no other common metrics that most institutions are sort of looking at. So it becomes difficult when you're trying to elevate this conversation and prioritize career education to leaders, some of whom know very little about career education and don't necessarily have a good gauge of how to perceive, how to view, how to hold accountable, how to think about the operation on their particular campus. And so for me, now having worked outside of higher ed, I see that there are a lot of functions out there that actually have a pretty core or common set of metrics that everyone, whether they work in that functional area or not, is familiar with. right? And I think we would do our profession a huge service to have a common set of metrics that everyone is familiar with, understands what it means, knows how to collect it. And so when you are having those conversations with folks that are not familiar with career services, say your president or your provost or your deans, senior administrators, there becomes a more common vernacular and language that everybody is sort of centering around. And I think this is honestly just the first step. And we're not, Andy and I are not even suggesting all of the metrics that we have in this paper need to be the common or standard set. This is just helping us get to that point. So let's start the conversation and continue to whittle it down from there.
0: When you talk about doing anything common in higher education, you tend to get pushback from people who say, but our institution is so different. And there are definitely different institutional missions. And I'm curious how you think about this idea Of applying something commonly to say the workforce part of a community college versus a liberal arts institution where many of the faculty members and probably some of the administrators would push back against that christine even your use of the term career education as defining what they do uh, makes me wonder that how do you think about that tension or do you think the metrics you're envisioning apply pretty equivalently whatever the institution's mission is
1: Doug, that's such a good question. Uh, Having worked at a liberal arts institution and many other (laughs) institutions, I can certainly attest to the fact that most institutions feel that what they do in their mission or their type of institution is different or special. So I certainly hear that. Andy and I definitely took that into account as we were talking to different leaders. We wanted to make sure that we were getting a breadth of perspective. We wanted to make sure we were talking with folks across the spectrum to see, are there commonalities actually? as different as some institutions are, is there a common foundation that many institutions either need to look at or their students care about? And what I would argue is, while the way in which education is delivered looks different, the commonality that exists is that students, whether they are at two-year institutions, four-year institutions, a regional public institution, or an elite private institution, The majority of students want to be able to have meaningful work or need to have meaningful work after they graduate. That is just simply a reality these days. And for any institution to pretend that that is not the case, I think is putting their head in the sand. The metrics that we've proposed allow for enough flexibility that institutions can still design what that means and how they might define that for their type of institution But it doesn't get away from the fact that meaningful work is still now a huge piece of student success. The past year has sort of taught us that equity is obviously a really huge issue. And when we think about educational equity, when we think about social mobility, um, there's a responsibility that we have being in education to think about that. And so the work piece is part of that conversation. It's part of that equation. And to pretend that education is solely for the sake of learning, it is for the sake of learning, but it doesn't have to be solely for the sake of learning, would be a really privileged stance to take because many of our students, unfortunately, don't have that privilege.
2: I would just add that the AACNU and the National Association of College Employers, of which both compose of thousands of universities, and colleges have been talking for many, many years about the need for career readiness of our students. There are different ways that it can be defined. And I think it is up to each school to actually define it well and measure it well. And so I do think that that would be even that in itself. If People could say career readiness is one of our top goals for every single student. And here's how we measure it. Here's how we can prove to you that it actually happens would be amazing. Put together a leadership team, including career services, not only career services, to think through, what does this really mean at your school? We're providing some suggestions in our paper, but I do think no one's going to argue that this is not a important thing for every school to be thinking about.
1: This episode is sponsored by D2L Brightspace, the easy, flexible and smart choice for your LMS. With D2L's powerful learning analytics, Top institutions create personalized experiences for every learner to deliver real results and can act in real time to get at-risk learners back on track. Discover how you can level up your LMS at www.d2l.com.
0: Joined on the key today by Andy Chan of Wake Forest University and Christine Cruz Vergara of Handshake. What's your vision of how the data you talk about in this paper would ultimately be shared and with whom? Is this for internal purposes, external purposes, accountability purposes?
2: First internal, uh, second external, and then I guess third external for trying to compare yourself relative to everyone else. So first internal meaning that people internally within the institution agree that this is important we're going to measure it and we have our ways of uh, talking about it and agreeing on it. It's very similar to what Christine said earlier, that people are using the language, agreeing on the terminology and understanding what we're trying to achieve. I think this is more important than ever. It's really clear in the article when we talk about the three trends and that the changing demographics, especially in our, our real understanding that uh, we have many students on our campuses who who do not have the social capital, who have not had the historical experiences or other types of resources that many other students have. We have to help everyone. And I think everyone on every campus has a heart for that. And so if we could actually agree on that first internally and start to make it happen. That'd be very powerful. And then the second thing is I think each school then could then think, okay, how now do we take now this information and figure out how to talk about it with our external constituents, whether they be parents, alumni, prospective students, our own students. I do think that that is an important step One of the things that I find that happens, it happens even on my own team sometimes, is we're afraid to get started because we're afraid of what we might find. And if we find that we're not doing such a good job with some set of students, uh uh-oh, we better not do this because it'll actually uncover something that we have to tell everyone about. Well, that's actually the purpose. You actually are trying to find out where you're not doing maybe quite a good enough job so you can actually do better. You have to go into this a little bit more like this is a exploration, innovation, we want to get better project, not a we're doing this only so we can sell our school and say we're better than everyone else to then the extent of, Oh, now we can really compare from school to school to school. I think that is going to take some set of schools who might come together and say, uh, we're ready to be in a place where we can actually do comparison where we want to, or can we do it actually in a confidential kind of way so that we can get better. I think that that's actually in some ways, a lot more important, which is how do we, how do we maybe compare in a, line showing of 10 other schools like us to see where we might get better but not be about we have to be better than everyone else because then what happens is everyone gets afraid of doing it and that's the last thing we want to have happen because we're in this for the student. We're not necessarily in this. Again, we get a little bit twisted about, well, this is all about actually enrollment and making revenue. I think there's more, more than a students out there for all of us to figure out how to serve. We're trying to serve the ones we have better.
0: Andy, you and others have been pushing for a rethinking of career services and career readiness within institutions for some time now. And I'm curious how much progress you think has been made and what remain the biggest impediments to a full embrace of the status of career preparation and career readiness.
2: The good news is that I think a lot of schools are talking about it. And I do think a lot of schools have changed their organization structure hired new leaders, trying to figure out a way to get more resources to career services, that's probably the biggest challenge is getting the resources. Um, I do think the biggest challenge though is actually uh, having leadership really own it, not just career services. And so to the extent that this message that we're sending might help continue to push that ball along, uh, that would be really terrific. So um, I do think like most change in the world, things happen in sort of bumps and starts And then all of a sudden there's this huge step up or a big inflection point. And I actually do believe that, for example, with what Handshake is able to do, it's actually enabled us as universities and colleges to be much more efficient about how we work with employers and with our students. And so that's actually making us more effective. It's also allowing us to gather data that we haven't ever been able to have before and do things with technology that we've never been able to do before. So I do think that there is a tipping point and an inflection point that's about to come and I feel like this pressure is actually going to make that happen so although you know again I think hundreds of schools are talking about it I think of those some subset is really making some transformational change I think it's still yet to come and um, I'm definitely not ready to give up so I'll let Christine talk about what she's seeing for her end
1: and I'm glad you're not glad you're not giving up yet <laughs> we have a lot of work to do um and thank you for all the very kind things that um that you also pointed out about um Obviously, handshake and how technology can help to really partner in this space. I think, you know, Doug, I've similar to Andy, I've been writing about sort of elevation of career services and the prioritization of this function for a long time. And I think my thinking and my observations have sort of shifted a little bit over the years. I think when I first started writing about this, it was after the recession of 2008. And I think truly that was the first inflection point it was the first time that legislators parents everybody was sort of saying wait a minute what's the return on investment here for my kid what are we really getting out of education and is it really necessary right and i think it was the first opportunity for many leaders in career services to say hey this is our moment this is a chance for us to actually be more central to the institution's mission and to rethink how we've been doing our work so that we're not just a peripheral student services office on the side, but instead really embedded into the fabric of the institution's experience for every single student. And I think to Andy's point, you know, several hundred institutions at that point, back in 2009, 2010, started to do this work. And for some of those institutions, they've made great headway in the past decade. But there are thousands of institutions and I work with thousands of institutions and it's still a struggle across many of them because the level of prominence, the structure, the culture hasn't actually shifted just yet at their institutions. So there are bits and pieces of these conversations sort of starting, but there isn't a coordinated effort across the entire institution. And I'm hopeful that we will continue to have these conversations that this white paper and quite frankly, everything that we've seen over the course of the past year and the pandemic um, will help to become another catalyst to really thinking about it. But I think what has shifted for me is that it's not actually just about a functional area anymore. It's not about elevating career services as an office. It is about elevating the concept and notion of career education for all students as a necessary outcome. And who is part of that conversation is not just the career office. The career office may lead it. The career office may coordinate it. The career office may be the main point of contact for all the various collaborators, but it actually is an institutional priority and an institutional push. And you don't even actually need a lot of money to be able to do it. Financial restraint or constraint is is actually not the major barrier um, to this happening.
0: Can you finish that thought and say what is? Is it tradition, inertia? The more you're envisioning career outcomes and career education as part of the education, you obviously bring it more into the classroom or at least more into the faculty realm. And I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about sort of what a vision like the one you just laid out requires the people who are charged primarily with instruction to do? What do you need them to do and how does it change their role, if at all?
1: The biggest impediments are structural, organizational, and cultural, not financial. So when you look at an institution, uh, so often many schools are hierarchical in different ways. Right. And this is where the different types of institution really comes into play, because different divisions, different hierarchy, um, different groups have different levels of influence, depending on the type of institution that you are at. If career or the person or persons that are helping to coordinate the overall institutional effort of career is four layers below the president not at any strategic table, isn't part of the necessary committees, task forces, groups that are looking at this or thinking about how it can be integrated or connected to the work that is happening across the institution, it's actually very hard for this to be embedded into the student experience, right? It's just logical. If you want it to be embedded, you have to make sure the person has a seat at the table. So those are all structural and sort of organizational challenges that can be fixed, and they can be fixed without money. It's making sure the right people are at the right table. It's making sure the right people are involved in the right conversations and decision-making. That will also help to shift some of the culture. Let me give you an example. You mentioned faculty. I worked at a liberal arts institution. I worked at Wellesley College, um, and Proud, So proud to be a liberal arts institution. And I worked very closely with my faculty around the notion of career. And I think the biggest piece here is recognizing that for many faculty, they don't actually have to change much about what they are doing at all. The content, their expertise is fantastic. Their pedagogy and the way that they are teaching it is fantastic. But what we need to do is simply draw a harder connection between what they are doing in the classroom and how that is actually transferable or applicable to students beyond the classroom. So I worked with some of the faculty to simply say, You've chosen to have students do this group project. You've chosen to have them do a verbal presentation. You've chosen to have them do a jointly written paper, right, as examples of pedagogy and how they have actually delivered or had students share back some of the content that they had learned in their classroom. None of that has to change. But let's actually be explicit for 30 seconds or a minute when you are giving that assignment to students, tell them why you've had them do it as a group. Why do they have to work that out? Why have you decided they're actually going to get a group grade instead of an individual grade? What are they learning in that process, right? Are they learning that in the world of work, almost everything you do is as a group and as a team. And at the end of the day, your boss or your supervisor or your company is likely to grade based on the outcome of that project and not individually. Maybe, possibly. Those are some of the learnings that you get out of it. Will you work with people who are difficult? who don't always pull their weight, who don't always do all the work that you need them to do and you have to figure out how to still get the project done. And so those are the types of things that are already happening in classrooms across America. And so if we can simply help to make those connections stronger, we're able to help embed and change some of the culture here so that we are not devaluing education as it is or liberal education by any means. We're actually strengthening it and we're coming alongside to complement it because we know that it's so valuable. We know that so many different industries actually want to hire students across many different academic backgrounds, not just those that are specifically focused on sort of skills-based training. And again, there's nothing wrong with that either, but it's really a both and, not an either or.
0: Not an either or. If you walk away from today's episode of The Key With Anything, that would be a good choice. The idea that paying attention to how graduates fare after they leave college doesn't by necessity diminish the value of all the other things many of us think students can and should derive from a post-secondary education. Of course, we'll get in trouble if we define career success too narrowly or try to measure it in an oversimplified way. But it would be risky for college university leaders to ignore the real expectations of students, families, policymakers, and others for evidence that institutions and academic programs are delivering on a primary expectation that most students have. For help on a path to a good job, a meaningful career, or a satisfying work life. This is a discussion that's too important for college leaders, professors, and others to leave to politicians and critics of higher education. That's why we'll continue to talk about this issue and others that matter here on The Key and on Inside Higher Ed. Thanks to Andy Chan and Christine Cruz Vergara for spurring today's conversation, to D2L for sponsoring it, and to all of you for listening. I'm Doug Letterman, and until next week, stay well and stay safe.